The Home Depot introduces new James Hardy Hardy Backer Cement Board with Hydro Defense Technology. 100% waterproof, it's the ultimate barrier to moisture. Now you can skip the steps of waterproofing the entire board, just the joints and fasteners, and you're done. If you're a pro with a bathroom to tile and no time to waste, we've got your backer. New Hardy Backer with Hydro Defense Technology. In-store, online. Now at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Passes ANSI A118.10 waterproof test. And welcome to The Porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grand. This is where we get back to basics. Examining the Word of God, not filtering it, not watering it down, following the book of Acts, church's example. And I believe that while we've done that, we have found the church that the Lord intended and not the one that man created. Now we just need to apply it. The Porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and the world-shaking influence the early church had. We believe the church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire still falls. Porch was created as an outreach of Solomon's Porch, Inc., a Florida non-for-profit since January of 2000. Go to onsolomonsporch.org to reach us there, or you can go to Firefall Talk Radio, use the contact button uh, if you have any questions, you have any needs, reach out to us. If you'd like to support us, there's ways to do that. At the bottom of the main page, we appreciate each and every one of you that do support and encourage us. Give us the Lord leads. Make sure you bookmark the Spreaker site for Firefall Talk Radio. It is the main site, although we have other listeners from other places and we appreciate all of you. This is the main site, and make sure you're subscribed. That way you'll know when new shows and new podcasts are added, like Overwatch. We had one this past Sunday, and then we had a special report update last night. So stay subscribed. A lot going on in the world that you really need to know about. Firefall Talk Radio has a Facebook page as well as SRT Overwatch info page. Facebook.com, Supernatural Response Team. That's where we cover prophecy, the end times, things that are going on in the world. We are getting back to merging the two sites as we did for many years between the porch and Reflections in the Dark. And I'm hoping that you'll share and tell your friends about them, download, and let's see if we can get the word out. Praise reports, prayer request. This is how we ride. This is how we do things. If you have them, make sure you send them in to me. Go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the uh, contact button, or on one of the social media sites, I'll get alerted, and then I will share them and get the word out. Don't feel obligated. What was that? Obligated. If you don't have it or you just want to keep it to yourself, make sure you share it with the Lord when we pray. Praise reports first. Enter his presence with thanksgiving. Well, I thank him for my salvation, because without that I don't have anything else I'm about to mention. 
I thank him for my home where I get to do this from, my wife, my family, sons, daughter-in-laws, my wonderful, amazing grandson, um, our furry kids, and everything that he has given us. We are blessed. I praise him for his protection, especially now in these dangerous end times. I praise him for the ministry that he lets me work for him, for the dreams and the visions, which, as I've said, are pretty consistent right now. I praise him for his healing virtues that are still available to us. Make sure you praise him as well. I praise him for the ability to praise him. I mean, I really do. I spend a lot of time with the Lord. I'm able to do that. I spend a lot of time in prayer and praise, and um, it's just the way I live, and, and I love it. I praise him for his favor and the revelation and everything that's going on that he's sharing right now and still learning and teaching me, always sitting at his feet, always getting into his presence, coming into that uh, Psalm 91 shadow of his wings. Larry and I prayed about uh, 5 o'clock or so, maybe a little later, 5.30, and we always start by covering ourselves in prayer, and, and tonight when I led in prayer, I just simply said, Lord... We are older, but we're still your boys, so we just lean in close, and we get close to you as we come into your protective covering. I praise him for being a new creation, living in these prophetic times. Yes, I praise him for America. A lot going on in the world, a lot of craziness, but we are in a place where we can do this without fear of reprisal. I praise him for the signs that he's getting ready to return, so let's get ready. So when we pray, I always pray first for the Middle East, which means I pray for Israel and the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122.6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And I do. I feel a kinship beside the Jewish blood in my lineage. Um, I feel a kinship to the Jewish people. And I, I look forward to the day of walking the streets there. And who knows if the Lord fulfills the blessings that I'm praying for, even owning um, a home there on the water, of course. I pray for the fatherless and the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents. I'm I'm about done with what Hasatan and the fallen are doing to the innocents in and out of the womb, both human and animal, the, the bloodshed and the horror and everything that they have gotten away with for too long. And I look forward to the Lord stopping that once and for all. I pray against... And pray for missing and exploited children, another thing that just cuts me deep into my heart and into my soul and the victims of human trafficking, sex trafficking. I mean, come on, let's pray, let's let's intercede, and if given the ability, let's do something about it. I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that are being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. It... um, Uh, I know I keep saying this and I want to do a show about it, a podcast, not a show, a podcast, whatever you want to call these things. Um, And and the persecution, the anti-Semitism, everything that's going on, it's just horrible and we need the Lord to come back and we need to intercede for them. The spirit of the Antichrist is active. It's getting ready for its unveiling. We've been warned about this, First John 4, 3, the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, is already in the world at this time, and it's getting ready for its coming out party. And I would really like to mess up that party. I pray for divine wholeness, health, 
and healing as we get back to our divine design. Continue to pray for my wife's Deb, um, the healing in her shoulder. I pray for all that are sick right now and suffering. I know we live in a fallen world, and I know that these things happen, but he's given us this ability to pray, and I believe for miracles. I claim them, and I speak them into your life, bones being knitted together, minds being cleared, hearts being healed, relationships being restored, people being saved, healed, and delivered in Yeshua's name. I pray for protection right now from all the things the enemy's trying to do to us. I pray for the inspiration, the fire to rise up within us for the remnant that I speak to. And to wake up, rise up, answer the call to action, answer the call to be a part of this, answer the call to help with provision. If you've been blessed, be a blessing. If you know people that have been blessed, go to them and ask them to be a blessing. This ministry um, SRT, the, the porch, Firefall, we have needs and we have missions and things to do, dreams and visions to fulfill, to become highly mobile and not to have to rely on the world to do things. I'm believe, believing for that. I'm believing for breakthrough, 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 right now coming through for what was a drip of, of water of blessings to become a, of a flowing faucet to a torrent to where we have everything beyond anything we can think or imagine for the purpose of the kingdom, not to be hoarded, not to be used for selfish desires, but to be used for what we've been called to do. Continue to pray for divine favor in the legal matters and adversity our family is going through. We are, my son and daughter-in-law, it just, and, and even my other son out in California dealing with a legal issue, just seems like the enemy has used that to, to stop things. And in the name of Jesus, I say no more. Kim in Fort Mitchell, she says, hopes all is well. She's doing good. Life has been a little hectic, but she praises him for the life that he's given her and that she gets to spend it with the people that she loves most. She says, I praise him for his love and for our relationship. He loves me like no one else can. Through my shortcomings and my rebellious spirit, she says, working on that. Father, I praise you for keeping me sober day after day. I praise you for my children, for everyone you put into my life. Please forgive me for falling short sometimes and for trying to run the show. The truth is I can't I can do nothing without you. When I fall short, I can't even hear you. Please help me to work on that. Father, I'm praying and believing that you have a plan for me and that you will reveal it when the time is right. You made me and you know me better than I know myself. I trust you and surrender. Please protect my children. Keep us safe from the enemy's attacks and all the diseases out there. Protect the porch families. Bless us. Favor us, Lord. Uh, Provide so that we can make it in this fallen world. Her son Maurice is going through some things, so she asks for prayer for him to protect our animals also and possessions in Jesus' name. Lord, we live in a fallen world, and we sincerely look forward to you coming back and fixing it. But until you do, we will tarry. We will do what you've asked us to do, but we could sure use some help in heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, and in our provisions. We want to serve you without hindrance. We want to concentrate on you without distractions. So we thank you for healing us 
in our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls and spirits. We thank you for the cross and the blood that you shed upon it and the love that inspired you to do it. Father, we thank you for giving up your only begotten Son as the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Knowing the end from the beginning, you knew what you would have to do so that we could be reconciled with you. And knowing how much you love and your capacity for love, I cannot imagine knowing the love of a father for his children, how much that hurt you. But you loved us so much you did it anyway. So we thank you for that. We thank you for everything that you're doing. We thank you for the blessings that are coming. We thank you for sending back the Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you for him walking with us and teaching us and reminding us and everything, sharing with us what you're about to do. We thank you for the blessings that have not manifested as yet. We touch and agree right now and receive and call forth things not as they are, but as they should be. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are the lender and not the borrower. We're going to be free of this world. We're going to be broken free of the debt system, free of Egypt, to do what you've called us to do without hindrance or delay so that we can make straight the highway, that we can prepare the way for the king as we get out there and do what you said go do, get people saved, healed, and delivered. Bless this time, clear our minds, And we just touch and agree and receive in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're talking about being remnant ready. Are you remnant ready? I've been asking this week after week. What's this, the eighth week now? Or maybe, well, what is this? Eighth week. Are you remnant ready? Do you believe that you are part of the remnant, or are you just part of the traditional I'm asleep at the wheel church? That wasn't what the Lord wanted. He set the stage for the remnant. It was supposed to be for the church, but he knew. He knew what things were going to be like. He shows us in the parable, some of which we're going to talk about tonight. John fourteen twenty six. but the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the intercessor, the advocate, the strengthener, the standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf, he will teach you all things. And he will cause you to recall, he will remind you of and bring to your remembrance everything I have told you. John fifteen twenty six. when the Comforter, Counselor, Helper, Advocate, Intercessor, Strengthener, Standby comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, 
who proceeds from the Father, literally emanates from him, he himself will testify regarding me. And John sixteen fourteen, what will the Holy Spirit do? He will glorify me, says the Lord, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The function of the Holy Spirit sent back to the church as a necessity for the great commission and the kingdom of God was to glorify the Lord, to remind us of what he said, not what man said, not what the world says, and to be in constant contact, be our connection to the throne room. Stop thinking externally, Old Testament. Oh, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to come down. No, he's inside of you. Stir up the spirit that's inside of you. Feed that spirit. Stop looking for external manifestations and start letting him grow inside you. Feed him. Feed the word. Put some wood on that fire and let it burn. That's why the active abiding presence of the Holy Spirit is vital to the remnant. Go with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and then 8. We're just going to tie the three together. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John, meaning John the Baptist, truly baptized with water, But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you shall receive power, the ability, the efficiency, and the might when the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKadosh, has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, says the Lord, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What he does right there, because, you know, in the middle there, they said, Lord, are you you going to restore the kingdom? And no, it's not for you to know times and seasons. What he was saying, he declared to them and to us that the kingdom of God is currently spiritual in nature. It's international in its focus, and it's gradually expanding. It was activated on Pentecost to be those things spiritual in nature, international in focus, and gradually expanding. What's the first thing that the enemy got the church to do at the Council of Nicaea was to sit down in big buildings. What is it that the enemy is doing in nations all over the world trying to keep us from expanding? The Holy Spirit is an important concept in the book of Luke and Acts and and the other Gospels, too, because we're going to talk about Matthew. But in all of those things, Yeshua is the primary example of the working of the Holy Spirit within us and upon us. Yeshua's life was conceived by the Spirit, literally. And the Spirit working within him brought forth a ministry of power, a ministry of influence, a ministry of healing and compassion and love. So the distinctive purpose of the outpouring of the Spirit in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost was to empower the church to do all those things and serve him. It says in John fifteen five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, 
you can do nothing. If you have your Bibles open and your apps open, highlight or underline, for with it, without me, you can do nothing. Get that into your mindset. Get that into your prayer life. Stop claiming and naming and doing all these things. Go before the Lord. A, find out what he wants you to have. It may be greater than what you want. In humility and submission, just tell him, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. And if you allow me, if you leave me alone, I'm going to mess this up. I want you to do it. I want what you want for me. I don't want Ishmael. I want Isaac. I don't want your permissive will that gives in to my pleadings or my manipulation. I want your perfect will. I want your best for me. Luke 3.16, John the Baptist tells his followers, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. First time he mentions the coming Messiah whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now John's baptism was minor compared to what was coming from the Lord, but it was necessary. That water baptism was about repentance, an outward confession of an inward change, an inward response first to John's message and then, of course, to the gospel message. But it was symbolic of another greater baptism coming, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of fire, sanctification and empowerment. And just before we went on, uh, I, I went on the air, and as I was going through my notes, the Lord dropped this into my spirit, and I should have always noticed it. You cannot have one without the other. You must first repent. You must first deal with the inward before the Spirit can fill you. So it makes me have to wonder if why people who struggle with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, are still dealing with things they've not repented of. Maybe they've <laughs> not received their water baptism as anything other than a ritual. I know I told you this before, but when I got baptized in a lake in Tallahassee, I felt it. I felt the difference. I went down on the water and came up differently. And it was after that that I got filled with the Holy Spirit, with the manifestation of speaking in tongues and the power and everything that went with it. There had to be a change. He had to prepare my inside, my spirit man, to receive that power. What are you holding on to? What is it inside of you that is keeping you from receiving this free gift? It's yours. The fruit and gifts of the Spirit are yours. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, or Jew or Gentile, whether slave or free, have been all made to drink into one Spirit. It's supposed to be one body, not this fractured thing called denominational religion. It wasn't supposed to be a new religion. We were supposed to be a part of the completion of the Jewish religion. But here you have it, and I, and I cannot tell you how many people I meet that don't get that. Well, the church the church has replaced the Jew. No, no. Yes, the Jews have not accepted. Some 
have not accepted it, but they've not replaced anybody. As Paul says in Romans, we've been grafted into the vine. We are not allowed to glory over the vine itself. The vine is his. The vine Israel is his. We are grafted into that vine. And when Messiah comes the second time, when he returns triumphant, oh, he will sanctify and baptize the world with the fire of judgment. For those that did not receive him, they have a shock coming. So we're going to stay in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew pretty much lays out Yeshua's credentials. It presents him as the king, but the king of a totally different kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so Matthew emphasizes the coming of the king and the power and the judgment that comes with him. Matthew, as a tax collector, would have been very literate and familiar with the keeping of the records of money. And you see that. There's more references to money and finances than in any of the other Gospels. Matthew's hometown was Capernaum, a village given special attention to in his Gospel. And when Capernaum is mentioned, it has special descriptions attached to it. So there are signatures there. There are signs that make it very clear that this Matthew's gospel. He wrote the gospel before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So he describes Jerusalem as the holy city as it was still standing and speaks of the Jewish customs still continuing to the day, which means he's writing it at a time that all those things are happening. So the prophecy the Lord gave about Jerusalem's destruction, which would have been about 70 A.D., that means that the book is written somewhere between 50 and 60 A.D. The Gospel of Matthew has many Jewish overtones. The, the term the kingdom of heaven appears 33 times and the, the term kingdom of God four times. And no other gospel lays as much stress on the kingdom as his. It talks about the restoration of the glory of David's kingdom as a burning hope for many of the Jews at that time. Remember something. The Bible was written for the Jewish people. Yes, there are Gentile believers, but they were treated as Jewish believers. The only author of the Bible that is not Jewish is Luke, and he was an acolyte. Matthew clearly identifies Yeshua with the hope of who he is by using the Jewish royal title, the son of David, nine times in his gospel. So what does he do? He begins his book with an impressive genealogy of Yeshua's link to King David. It's the only gospel. Now, this is really cool. Matthew is the only gospel writer who speaks directly to the church. He points to even the Gentile structure within the church by including several stories of Gentile faith in Yeshua, the wise man, the centurion, the Canaanite woman. He records the prediction that the gospel will be preached to all the nations and the commission to the disciples to make disciples of all the nations. He points out the Lord's teaching of the blessing of the kingdom to be extended to the Gentiles and that one day Israel would be restored to its place of blessing. And the final 
thing about Matthew that I want to point out to you is that it is an instruction manual to the church. And the obvious clue is in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. So we're going to go to Matthew 25 tonight. And in this particular chapter, which comes right after Matthew 24, which makes sense because numerically that's how it would go. But remember that when these were written, they were not written in chapters. They weren't written in uh, scripture verses. They were written in an order of thinking. So you have Matthew 24, which sets up the end times, what's going to happen it ends with the parable of the thief in Matthew twenty four forty three, um, the suddenness of the Messiah's return and for everybody to be alert, and the parable of the servant, Matthew twenty four forty five through fifty one. It emphasizes how important it is to to lovingly care for others, and that we must be obedient and be found obedient when he returns. Then we pick it up in Matthew 25. There are three parables. We're only going to cover one. And each parable exhorts to be watchful. That's why this is the awakening remnant, patient and prepared. That's what what this one's called. So we're going to start with the first parable about the ten virgins, uh, virgins. Matthew 25, 1 through 13, that's where we're going to be. And what it does, it presents a theme to be wise and prepared for Messiah's return. And it also drops a hint that I think many of the day missed and still do. It emphasizes that there's going to be a long delay before he returns and the unexpectedness of his return. He was already alerting his church to these important aspects of his return. So go with me, Matthew 25, starting with verse 1. Remember, these are all red letters, him speaking. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamp. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, the wicks on the lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give you some, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise virgins answered, saying, No, lest there should be not enough for us and for you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. 
Pretty, pretty powerful stuff there. They were waiting for him, which means they knew about him. They knew of his impending arrival, but were completely unprepared for how long it would take and the suddenness of it. They weren't there when he showed up. The doors closed, and he doesn't just say no. He says, I do not know you. What is it going to take to get the body of Messiah, the church, the ecclesia, those who are called out, not buildings but people, what is it going to take to get them awake and prepared? So it starts out with the kingdom of heaven. Where do we hear that? Matthew 3, 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew four seventeen, Yeshua began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew five ten, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Matthew ten seven, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew twenty five one, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. Thirty-three times Matthew declares that as a Jewish way of saying the kingdom of God. As we know, Jews avoid saying the name of God out of respect for him. And people wonder why I don't do that as I claim to be a Messianic believer, one with Jewish blood. Well, he's my father. The Jews are saying that out of respect for someone who is distant And so holy he's unapproachable that they can't even say his name. They won't even spell it. They'll put a G and a slash and a D. Well, that's fine, but he's my dad. That's my Abba Father. I have access to the throne room. I don't have that relationship with him. Am I respectful? Oh, absolutely. Do I I love him more than I can tell you? But he is not an external, distant angry God. I don't have to worry about falling into the hands of an angry God. All I have to worry about is being wrapped up in his arms. So that word heaven points to the heavenly nature of Yeshua's kingdom. His kingdom did not involve a political restoration of the nation of Israel, as many Jews had hoped. Instead, he brought a heavenly kingdom with the spiritual domain, the hearts of his people. I believe that when he died on the cross and when he rose from the grave and he sent back the Holy Spirit, he reestablished the kingdom of God as the spiritual domain of heaven and earth and even the universe itself, which is why we have the authority we do over the fallen and their demonic offspring. But a natural restoration will not happen until he comes back again. And the other thought I had as I was sitting here waiting for the 7 o'clock hour was that all these people that are going out there to establish the kingdom of God here on earth, that are following some of the teachings about that, the seven mountains of influence and all that nonsense, it's in direct contradiction to the word of God. 
Are we to do things? Absolutely. Are we to take our influence into the marketplace to get people saved, healed, and delivered? Absolutely. But we're not to build kingdom here on earth. We're not to take his his finances and his blessings to build the the giant things that get built the 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 monuments to people's egos we were supposed to be preparing for that when he comes back so there is a heavenly nature a supernatural a spiritual nature to the kingdom of god and its influence is internal to people's lives into people's hearts their minds their souls and their spirits and to such a kingdom, as I've already mentioned, between the difference and the baptisms, demanded first an internal repentance, not just an external submission. It provided a deliverance from sin and the power of Hasatan, the adversary, and all of his kingdom of darkness, rather than political deliverance. And what does he teach us? He teaches us to be ready, prepared for his return. And he compares his return to a joyous wedding procession in which the unprepared cannot participate. Now you notice we have five, we have ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. Well, the number five symbolizes God's grace, goodness, and favor. It's mentioned 318 times in Scripture. The number of five, the number of grace multiplied by itself, which is 25, is grace upon grace, John one sixteen. Ten commandments, two sets of five commandments. First five are related to our treatment and relationship with God, and the last five concern our relationship with other humans. So the first five would be the spiritual, the second five the carnal. Think about that for a second. Five Levitical blessings, the burnt offering, the meal offering, peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Yeshua took five loaves of bread and miraculously multiplied them to feed 5,000 people. And during a feast, the portions of Joseph's favorite brother Benjamin was five times as much as the others. Conversely, because humans have five toes, five fingers, and five senses, the number can also mean human weakness. So what do we have here? Ten virgins, five wise, five foolish, five living under his grace and multiplied goodness, and five living fleshly, weak lives. So these ten virgins, they're they're waiting for the wedding procession which would go from the bride's home to the home of her husband. This nighttime procession would use lamps to light the way because ancient cities did not have streetlights. And the one thing I want you to catch, if you catch nothing else, and I hope you catch more than this, is it explains the needs for wisdom. Zeal is great. Passion is great. But we must also be wise. Proverbs 8.12, I, wisdom from God, make prudence my dwelling, and I find out knowledge and discretion. The offer of wisdom is held out to only those who fear God. In the Old Testament, only those who have an internal relationship with God. In the New Testament, the coming wisdom requires, first of all, coming to God, which means you have to turn away from everything God hates. 
pride, arrogance, evil behavior, misbehavior, uh, the things of this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that is not what makes us wise in him. Wisdom and prudence go together. The word wise is translated as prudent, which means you're acting with or showing care and thought for the future. Not living in the now, but living for the when. Let me say that again. If you are wise, if you are prudent, if your wisdom comes from God, comes from the Lord, comes through the Holy Spirit, you're acting with, you're showing care for and thought for the future. You're not living in the here and the now. Those people that build up kingdoms for themselves and, and gather things which rot and rust on earth are not living for the kingdom. They're living for the here and now. They're not very wise. Now, we would look at them and go, wow, they're pretty blessed. They're, they're going traveling. They're driving these cars and living in these homes. You know what? That's all well and good. And while I would like to have a car that worked so that I could get around, I'm just as happy living his way of life. When he wants me to have it, I will have it. So five of them were foolish, thoughtless, without forethought, and five were wise, sensible, intelligent, and prudent. Matthew seven twenty four. whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. Remember, Matthew, instruction to the church. Matthew ten sixteen. Behold, I sent you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Proverbs fourteen eight. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Proverbs fourteen fifteen. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. So the wisdom of The five wise version consists in the fact they didn't just bring their lamps. They brought a supply of oil so that it would not run out. They were prepared just in case the bridegroom was delayed. So oil, what does oil represent? Well, the the process, the possessing of the oil, it illustrates the concept of being prepared. And the lack of oil means you're unprepared. You're filled with the Spirit, you're prepared. You're not filled with the Spirit, you're unprepared. And when that door is shut, they were shut out of the kingdom. They were not ready for Messiah's return. They weren't ready for the wedding feast. The wedding feast in Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast, Matthew 22, 1 through 14, lays it out the same way. I won't read it to you, I'll just explain it to you to compare. The kingdom of heaven indicates that this story contains principles or truth that relate to the kingdom of God. The marriage of the wedding feasts, the Jewish weddings in the biblical times, involved a number of steps. First, the couple made a marriage contract, which was the basis of the marriage. About a year later, the groom went to the bride's house, where the bride was presented to him. This was followed by a nighttime wedding procession to the groom's home, where a festive wedding banquet was held. Start seeing this with the second coming, with the rapture of the church. The banquet could last up to a week, depending on the resources of the groom's family. And we know that 
the groom that's coming for us has got some resources. And a feast is meant to portray God's kingdom on earth. Now, in the, in the Matthew 22 parable of the wedding feast, people were invited, and then they were notified that the, the feast was ready, come right away. Yeah, but they weren't ready. They were so preoccupied with the here and now, they had no concern for going, and they were nowhere near, anywhere near concern for God's kingdom. And then what happened was they went out to the highways and the byways and they got some people and then they told them how to dress and some were given the right clothes to wear and imposters tried to sneak in. Party crashers, wedding crashers, they tried to show up anyway. They wanted in, but they didn't want to do what needed to be done to be in right relationship. And what happens? They're bound hand and foot and cast out into the outer darkness to await judgment. Being unprepared and unreceptive is really a dangerous thing. Oh, I know that doesn't preach well. The bride should be ready and people that try to sneak in on other people's coattail. I got news for you. I've heard family members say, oh, I'm good. I don't need this born again thing. I'm, you know, I was sprinkled. I was slapped. I was whatever, or I'm going to make it in on the coattails of my mother, my father, my grandmother, a loved one. No, you're not. You're going to stand before him all by yourself. And none of those things will matter unless you're The only thing that's going to matter is your name being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when he calls the bride, she should be ready. Revelation 19, 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. You know, in the Old Testament, Israel was called God's wife. The term is given to the church in the New Testament. And that church is made up of both Jew and Gentile believers. Never forget that. Five of them wise, five foolish. The foolish took their lamps and no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps And while the bridegroom was delayed, they slumbered and slept. This was a warning that his return would be delayed. And we really don't know what delays it, but we have some hints in Scripture that it has to do with the Great Commission being fulfilled. The disciples laid everything out for us. It's all there, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Second Corinthians 4.3, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are what? Perishing. Second Thessalonians 2.9 and 10, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. But then we get the explanation that ties it all together, Second Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, 
go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamp, and the foolish ones went, oops, we're out of oil. Yeah, well, the fact that that cry, the midnight cry, should have been your cue, bad idea. Mark thirteen thirty five. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening at midnight at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning. Midnight in the Bible is the, signifies the darkest hour before the day. It's the turning point from one season to another. It's a time of testing between the darkest hour of a person's life and it will reveal our mindset to us. And another reason, judgment comes at midnight. We know from the Exodus story that judgment came at midnight. Thus says the Lord, at midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, Exodus eleven fourteen, And then we see in Exodus twelve twenty nine that it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Always foreshadowings in the Bible. Midnight's also a time for blessing and supernatural relief. But if you're asleep, it makes you a target of the enemy. So no matter how long you personally have been going through your midnight, your darkest hour, your Heavenly Father promises to give you His joy in the morning. Midnight is the believer's blessing, and it becomes a nightmare for the non-believer. Freedom's about to take place at midnight. That midnight cry means you're free. You're free of this world. You're free of the things of this world. You're free for the marriage supper of the Lamb. So here you have it. You have five foolish virgins who made the effort. They knew of him. They knew he would be coming. Otherwise, why are they there? But by falling asleep, it was all in vain. They weren't ready for the Messiah. Oops, the bridegroom. They were unprepared and fell asleep. And then, because they're asleep and they realize they've made a mistake, they want somebody else to fix their mistakes. There's no accountability. There's no responsibility. There was no excuse for them not being ready. No one can assist you. It's all on you. It would sound cold that the five wise said no, lest there should not be enough for us. You can't bring anybody else into the wedding supper of the Lamb. You can lead them to the Lord. You can pray with them. They have to choose to be ready. The five foolish virgins, they didn't think ahead. And here he is. He's coming. So the the foolish ones run out thinking, we can, we can get some oil before he gets here. And then they get there, they get back, and the door is shut. The symbol of the Holy Spirit, the oil... 
the, the faith of the Lord, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The abiding presence of the Holy Spirit represents our engagement and connection to the Lord. The infilling of the Spirit in us confirms that we are ready for his return. We won't be caught off guard. We hear our Master's voice. We know when he's coming. And the foolish virgins just tried to live off of what little they had. And when it didn't happen, when they thought it would happen, they ran out. And they missed it. While they were going away to buy, the bridegroom came. And he shut the door. And they came and they knocked and said, Lord, Lord, open the door. I, I solemnly declare to you, I don't know you. I'm not acquainted with you. Watch, therefore. Give strict attention. Be cautious and active. For you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. Remember, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven do that will. The Holy Spirit's got to be inside you to guide you to do that will. Many will say to me in the day, Lord says, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, all external manifestations of a supposed relationship and belief in him? And he declares to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The signs and the gifts and the wonders are wonderful, but they are not a sign that those people are born again. The emphasis upon the signs, the emphasis upon the external manifestation of the Spirit is not biblical. Yes, if you're born again, you should be Spirit-filled, and the least of those gifts should be speaking in tongues, but... This whole concept of are you born again with the evidence of speaking in tongues does not apply because these people say we prophesied in your name, which meant they they spoke in a heavenly language and maybe they even interpreted it. They cast out demons in his name. Well, why not? His name is the name above all names. That's going to happen. It is a universal rule. And they even done many wonders in his name, but he looks at them and says, I never knew you. I never knew you. And he's going to say this to them openly and publicly because you disregarded my commands. The Lord warns in these parables of being unprepared. He warns against the self-deception. Maybe they made a verbal profession to his lordship without the obedience to the will of God. How many people, how many big-name people do you see out there that claim to know him, but their lives deny it? Maybe it's possible that they are deluded. Maybe they don't know it. Maybe they think the spectacular ministry and things they do prove who they are, but they don't. Tree is known by its fruit. And the Lord warns there in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, what I call the most frightening section of Scripture in the New Testament against people who falsely profess to acknowledge him as Savior but have never been converted. See, not everyone who calls him Lord, Lord shall enter. 
only those who do the will of the Father. So here we are. Romans thirteen twelve. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Just before we came on, I was led to add this. I've not mentioned it in a while, but I think it applies. It was written by Keith Green in 1978 called Asleep in the Light. Do you see? Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close their eyes and pretend the job's done. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds. He cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Oh, can't you see it's such a sin? Because he brings people to your door and you turn them away as you smile and say, God bless you, be at peace. And all of heaven just weeps. Because Jesus came to you, came to your door, and you left him out in the street. Open up, open up, give yourself away. You see the need, you hear the cry, so how can you delay? God's calling and you're the one, but like Jonah, you run. He told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Can't you see it's such a sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you can't even get out of bed. How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Don't close your eyes. Don't pretend the job's done. Father, we ask right now that you wake us up, that you awaken your remnant, that this word get out there to them, so that when you say, come away with me, we'll be ready. When you say, come away with me from this mess, we'll be ready. When you say, come away with me from this fallen world and fallen world system and the pains and the brokenness and everything that the world has done to you, come away with me. Come away with you. Be, we'll be ready. We won't be foolish. We won't be fleshly. We won't be asleep. Holy Spirit, wake us up. Send your fire. Send us if you need to, but wake us up. Fill us, touch us, change us, wake us up. We've been patient, Lord. We want to be prepared. Right now, send what we need to do the job. Send the love in our hearts, send the clearness in our eyes, send the freedom in our body, our minds, our souls, and our spirits. Take the lies off our lips. Take the false teachings out of our life. Take the wolves out of the pulpits, Lord. And give us shepherds who have a heart for your flock. Let us go, Lord. Let us run. Let us rise. Let us fly. Let us do what you called us to do. And Holy Spirit, we ask for your help to do that. We ask right now, forgive us. Forgive us for ignoring you. Forgive us for letting you down. Forgive us for looking at the lost and the dying and Not seeing them with your eyes or f- feeling them with your heart. 
Give us the power to stop cursing the darkness and instead drive it away with the light. We love you, Lord. All we want is you. All we want is your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that you, I pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. <clears throat> May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. This weekend at Kohl's, take an extra 15% off. Save on men's and women's denim. Get Under Armour shoes for the family, $59.99 and under. And pick up a Power XL air fryer, just $84.99. Plus, take an extra $10 off your back-to-school purchase of $50 or more. Plus, store drive up. And get a little more for your wallet with Kohl's Cash. Shop Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles, 15% off with promo code Notebook and August 16th. Under Armour offers and coupons do not apply. 10 off 50 with promo code BTS10 and August 23rd. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. Hey, it's me, your cousin, from Boston. I'm on the radio doing ads for Sam Adams. Now I'll be known as the Sam Adams guy instead of the dude who fell in the quarry. Sam Adams Boston Lager is crisp and refreshing, which is why I bring a six-pack wherever I go, except the movies anymore. Sam Adams from Boston with love. Here's a legal pot. Watch how fast I can read. The Boston Beer Company, Boston Mass. Drink responsibly. Now, is that 30 seconds? Are we even close?